Let me roll this really cool looking piece of furniture that Jamie bought the other day up to the front. Um, it's one of those things, when I first saw it, I thought, you ever been to Europe and uh, in Italy, for example, you might see these little tables outside of uh, coffee shops, and people will just run by, order an espresso, stand there for a few seconds, and then take off. And so feeling like I should have a little flower pot here and an espresso and get started. But anyway, uh, let me make sure uh, I introduce myself. My name is Adri. I work for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship with international students, so if you have any questions about that Thanksgiving coming up, I'm, I'm one of the people you can speak with. But it's good to be here with you here this morning. Um, some of you have been part of our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course uh, that we've been going through as a church for a few weeks, and um, some people are doing it on Wednesday night, we're doing it on, on Sunday morning, waking up early, trying to get the kids out of the house. Uh, it's all working out, and I'm being there. It's just been a really good, uh, a good time. And this morning was about grief and loss. And um, yeah, that we, that either grief and loss will destroy us or it will transform us. Are we going to believe that God is going to bring us through that? And man, when this morning we talked about the church shooting, man, there's a lot of grief and loss. And when we talk about East Africa and, and millions of people dying, brothers and sisters dying. I mean, what a grief, what a loss. It's so hard for us to look, look through that, to see the bigger picture. What is God doing here? You know, I have no easy answers. <laughs> I might not have any answers. But I want to also share something encouraging. Uh, this morning, I quickly looked at my phone and I saw an, an email message from Angie and um, it was a, a message about the Iranian church. It's not, not, not a church we normally focus our time on, right? Um, I believe 79, they had a revolution there, and it's the Islamic revolution. And by the time there was, people thought there were about 500 Christians left in the entire country. There's a bunch of people that were persecuted, a bunch of people that went through suffering, through grief, through loss. Forty-ish years later, there's an estimated anywhere between several hundred thousand to a million Christians. There have been there are now more Christians in Iran than there have been in the last 700 years. And so sometimes we're faced with grief and loss, and it's it's real. It's here, straight in front of us. But then God is doing something bigger, and now hundreds of thousands of people in Iran are worshiping God uh, daily. And though I just want to share this as an encouragement, God is bigger. Um, even in the midst of grief and loss that we don't understand. And so I was very encouraged. Thank you, Angie, for, for sharing that. So uh, that was completely unrelated to anything else I'm going to talk about today. <laughs> I just felt I needed to share my heart. Um, uh, we've been in a series of going through um, the Creed, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and because the Apostles' Creed is a great way of looking at what do Christians believe? And so what do I believe, really? And we've been going through that. And um, I think we have it on the slide. We're going to say it again together um, just because it's a good reminder of the things that we believe. And um, uh, let's just stand when we do that. And hopefully we have the slide up there. Yeah. So just uh, let's start. I believe in God, the Father Almighty,
I feel almost every week when there's either Jamie or somebody else up here um, saying, man, this week we're going to talk about a topic that's just too big. We need multiple sermons for this. We can write books about that. And so um, <laughs> it's no different today. Uh, we're talking about, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. And uh, man, that is big. Holy Spirit, we, we can't really see that as a separate, uh, like separate from the Trinity. And the Trinity itself is already such a big and difficult concept to, 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 to wrap our minds around. And in Western thinking, we like, I, I think this is, this is my view of Western thinking. What we like to do is take something completely apart, try to f- figure out what each individual part means, and then stick it all back together and we have the feeling we understand the whole. Well, the Holy Spirit is not like that. The, the, the Trinity is not like that. We can't just take one apart and the other apart and then say, okay, this is what, what God is like, or this is what the Holy Spirit is like, and this is how, what, what the Father is like. There, there, there are definite differences, but there are also so many similarities. And so it's very difficult to do that. So very big, very mystical, uh, with the exception of a few times in, in, in the Bible, we cannot see the Holy Spirit, but he's still very much active in our world today. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit is God, so it's impossible to completely understand. Then the question comes, should we try? Um, And I think, actually, the answer is yes, because God has given us the Bible, and He has revealed the Holy Spirit to us. And so He's given us some things that we can understand about the Holy Spirit to understand better who He is. And... um, that might not give us a complete picture. It for sure will not give us a complete picture. I think it's a little bit like a parent talking to a child about a difficult concept. Uh, you might not be able to give all the details, give an exhaustive like list of what this means, but you might be able to use some simple words to give an idea of what the concept means. And I think that's what God is doing here to us, um, giving some, some ideas of who the Holy Spirit is. But before I want to really jump into and look at the Bible and see what does, what does the Bible reveals to us about the Holy Spirit, I want to just share a little bit of my own journey. Um, So as I say, I work for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship with international students, and uh, I'm part of an area team, and uh, we we try to also do some spiritual formation, read books, and uh, about six years ago, we read the book by Francis Chen called The Forgotten God, and Francis Chen says that in a lot of American churches, if we look how, uh, where the Holy Spirit is, a lot of the time it looks like he's forgotten. If you would have a person that would have never gone to a church, but just read the Bible, and from the Bible had an understanding about the Holy Spirit, and then would go to the average church in America or in Europe, be very confused, would expect the Holy Spirit to show up in all kinds of different ways, and then we go to a church and, and we don't actually see that happening. I was really cut to the heart by that. Specifically, one place where he said a lot of people refer to the Holy Spirit as it, this kind of thing. I realized I was doing that. Not, like, not actually saying the Holy Spirit is a person, but saying it's an it. I was just forgetting about it. Really cut to the chase there, or cut to the heart. And um, that, that was for me a place of growth. It's like, okay, I need, I need to pay more attention to the Holy Spirit. And so that's the one, the one end of the spectrum is that we have churches where the Holy Spirit is forgotten. And then we have the other extreme, which I think is unhealthy as well. I've been to some churches where um, it's all about the experience, all about the experience of the Holy Spirit. People lying on the floor, uh, there's, there's healing, and I believe in healing. I believe that God heals us, but I get this feeling there's some kind of manipulative force behind this. Is this real? 
And so we kind of, I kind of struggled with those extremes, kind of the stereotypes on the one hand, and then no Holy Spirit at all on the other hand. And so I've been really glad to be part of a Pentecostal church for the last seven years here at Fullman Foursquare Church. I feel I've learned a lot from many of you here. Uh, I thought it was really funny that Jamie asked me to give this sermon about the Holy Spirit. I'm like, there's so many people capable of doing a better job than I can. But I'm telling you that because I think it's just some of my baggage. That's where I come from. That's how I have like kind of having to figure out, how is the Holy Spirit part of my life? Do I really um, acknowledge Him and spend time with Him? So, then let's go to the Bible. When I think of the Holy Spirit, and I don't know how it's with you, the first thing that comes to mind is always Pentecost. It's that kind of place where uh, it's most visual, it's exciting, stuff is happening. In, um, I'll be reading a few, a few quick uh, quotes from, jo- from uh, Jesus in John. In John 14, 16, he says to his disciples, and this is just before he is going to, uh, to die and uh, to, to be arrested and, and, and crucified. Just in those moments before that, he says to the disciples, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So Jesus is saying, like, I'm now with you, and this is a great relationship, but there's going to be somebody else that's going to come. And then in uh, John 16, 7, he goes even a little further, and he says, I assure you that it is better for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the companion or the Holy Spirit, won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And that is, that's really interesting. Jesus is saying, it's actually better that I go away so the Holy Spirit can come. And <laughs> do we really believe that? Uh, I, I'm just thinking right now, if I could just go sit down and Jesus be up here and, and, and making this sermon, that would be so much better, right? But God says, like Jesus says, that the Holy Spirit being with us is even better. So then I should really take that relationship with the Holy Spirit seriously. If I believe that Jesus did all these amazing things, then I should believe that the Holy Spirit can do all these amazing things as well in us. And so we get then to Luke 24, 49, where Jesus says that just before he's taken up into heaven, he says, but stay here in the city, in Jerusalem, until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And that's what they do. The disciples go home, they wait, and then this amazing event called Pentecost happens. But before we go there, let me go somewhere else. Because Holy Spirit doesn't show up for the first time in Acts 2, but he actually shows up way earlier in Genesis 1, verse 2. All the way at the beginning, it says, God created the sky and the earth. At first, the earth was completely empty. There was nothing on the earth. Darkness covered the ocean. And God's Spirit moved over the water. So we really see that the, whole, the, the, the Holy Spirit is already present at creation, involved in creation. And we shouldn't be surprised, of course, Holy Spirit being part, being part of the Trinity, being God, is eternal, should have been there at the beginning. But I love it that you opened up the Bible, and there he is, verse 2. So the Holy Spirit is part of creation, and then he's also part of sustaining us. It says... In uh, Psalm 104, but when you send out your life-giving breath, and to make a, a, a remark there, the uh, the Old Testament is written in in Old Hebrew, and the word for spirit there is ruach, 
Now, Ruach has been translated in a variety of different ways. Uh, some cases it's Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes it is wind. Um, in this case, it is breath. Another time, it's, it's the cool of the day. If you remember that God is walking in the cool of the day. The cool of the day is also that same word, Ruach. So the Spirit actually shows up, but it's translated in different words. And here, the word breath is also Holy Spirit. So when you send out your life-giving breath, Things come alive, and the world is like new again. So the Holy Spirit sustains us. And then also the Holy Spirit renews. You can't really separate the Holy Spirit again from the Trinity. That's, that's, I keep coming back to that. So the Holy Spirit was there at the beginning. He's part of creation, but he also sees when sin enters the, wor- the world. When things get broken, when the relationship between God and people gets broken, relationship between people gets broken, all these relationships get broken. And we see in the rest of the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit comes to those places to mend things, to mend the relationship specifically between people and God. In Isaiah it says, God gives us His Spirit from above. Justice will come. Justice that brings peace and safety. The, the, the Spirit can bring, will bring justice, will bring peace. The Spirit can mend things that are broken. And we see that when the Spirit... So in the Old Testament also, the Spirit comes on people. In the New Testament, we see anybody who believes in Jesus, the Spirit, we see the Spirit coming upon them. And it's, it's more of a communal big thing that happens. In the Old Testament, it's more selective. But there are specific individuals that the Holy Spirit comes upon. Now, I wonder how many of you know this individual, Belzalel. Anybody heard Belzalel? Yeah, Jen, yeah, I, I was expecting you would raise your hand there. Belzalel is a, a designer. He, um, in the time of Moses, Moses had, like God had taken the people of, of, of Israel out of Egypt, and they were now in the desert, and um, they were building a tabernacle. And it says that the Holy Spirit came on Belzalel, so that he could make all these beautiful things in the ark. And uh, I love that, that God cares about beautiful things. Some of those things might not necessarily seem in our society um, as purposeful, right? Like just, just build the thing and why don't we need all these extra little uh, items around it to make it beautiful. But God cares about beauty. Um, I'm thinking of my, my daughter. She loves to draw and she's taken it, I think, to the next level because I never did this as a kid, she, she gets books out of the library that, that show her how to draw. And so she found a book that had kind of an anime style, and then she tried to draw herself in anime style. And uh, I got that. It's like, this is really awesome. So I'm hanging that up in my office. And actually, if you walk in my office, you see lots of different drawings from Deborah just hanging there because she keeps creating and keeps making new things. And it just gives me joy. And I think the same thing is, is with God. It just gives him joy when we create things for him. But I think another reason why the Holy Spirit here came on him was because this was this act of restoring a relationship between God and the people of Israel. God was going to live between his people. He's going to live here in this ark, in this tabernacle. And that's why the Holy Spirit comes on Belzalel and he can do his job. And it, I think it shows the, the heart of the Holy Spirit of wanting to bring, to, 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 to counteract that sin and to bring the relationship with God and people back. We see it with the judges as well. If you've read the judges, by the time the, the Israelite, 40 years in the desert, they get to Israel, 
they settle there, and then they forget. They forget about what God has done for them. They start worshiping other gods. And then obviously, like every time something bad happens, a foreign nation comes in, people get killed, there's, a, uh, there's not enough food, all those things. And then people, uh, God raises up a judge. And then through that judge, the people turn back, and then there's a period of, of, of peace. And uh, with multiple of these, these judges, it's said that the spirit of the Lord came on them. One of the examples is Gideon. Gideon has to battle um, these, these, these nations that are coming into the country. And God's spirit comes upon him. And then he thinks like, okay, I'll take these 22,000 men and go battle the enemy. And God says, nope, that's too many people. And he cuts down the army to down to 300 people and then goes out and destroys the foreign army that's been invading. And again, I think it's here, the spirit is coming on Gideon because Gideon is a judge and he's going to point the people back to God. We see the same thing happening with Saul, with David, and Solomon. And all of them, the spirit comes. And the goal is that these kings will point towards God and the relationship between God and people will be restored. But I think most clearly it is the, the active role that the Holy Spirit plays in Jesus' life. Earlier on in the Creed, we talked about the, the Holy Spirit conceiving Jesus. Holy Spirit is active at the very beginning of the Gospels. Just as he is present in Genesis, the second verse, he is present here at the beginning. And Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then at the beginning of his ministry... We have this beautiful picture of Jesus getting baptized by John and the Holy Spirit coming like a dove on Jesus. And then the very next thing that happens is that Jesus is taken into the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And that's always one of those more uncomfortable parts. Because until now, the Holy Spirit seemed to actively be working and it seems to be this awesome thing also for us. And here, Jesus is taken into a place that's not fun for 40 days in the desert, being tempted by the devil. It's not a place I want to be. Um, but I think the Holy Spirit does that because he is growing our character. Again, if you've been part of our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, uh, last week we talked about the wall, those experiences in our life that it seems we're not going to get through that. And we might not even want to go through it. But when, with God's help, we go through that wall, our character is changed. We are transformed, and God has been teaching us something through it. When I came to Pullman about seven years ago, I really felt called by God to come to Pullman. And so I thought, oh, yeah, that's awesome. It's going to be all great. Um, but again, I, I do international student ministry, which means I need to raise my own uh, budget. And uh, even though actually things were going really well for just starting out, um, we had about a period of six to seven months where our salary was capped about $400 a month. Well, you cannot live on $400 a month with a couple of kids. Uh, I'm not even sure you can if you're just a single person. That, that's hard. Um, and we, we have to turn to things like we have to get food stamps. We have to go to the food bank. I didn't want to go to the food bank. I didn't want to do those things. I mean, there's feelings of shame. I don't, I don't want to be there. And like, why, God, why are you doing this? And uh, it was not a fun time. But at the same time, looking back on it, I think that God was working on us 
and saying, where is your reliance? Is it on money, on safety and security, or is it on me? I don't know if I've completely learned that lesson, <laughs> but I think I've, I've, my character has changed coming out of it. And I think that is what the Holy Spirit does. It takes us sometimes to places where we don't want to be because it's better for us in the long run. But continuing, the Holy Spirit is working in Jesus' life even through this period in the desert. Uh, He's active through his ministry. He casts out demons by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that himself. And then um, even in the, the, the death and resurrection, Paul mentions that the Holy Spirit has an active role. In one place it says... Uh, Hebrews 9.14, he offered himself to God through the eternal spirit as a sacrifice without any flaw. Um, so yeah, even the Holy Spirit, all the way, as, as part of, I mean, the, the, the death and the resurrection, of course, are this place where we can find our salvation. It's this ultimate renewal where we can be in relationship with God. And again, the Holy Spirit is active in that. And so, we see him in creation. We see that he sustains our every breath and that he cares about renewing us. So let's get back to Acts. As I said before, the Holy Spirit, is, it, it's such a big topic in the Bible that I have to kind of choose what am I going to focus on and what am I not going to focus on. Um, the Holy Spirit in Acts is very obviously uh, active in people. It gives them boldness. If you think of Stephen who stands there in front of a bunch of religious leaders telling them the gospel, even though at the end they stone him. He has boldness to keep complaining. Not complaining. (laughs) Uh, It's a very similar word to that, but it just slipped my mind. Proclaiming. What's that other claiming word? Proclaiming. There we go. Keeps proclaiming the gospel. And... um, and we also see that with Peter, when he comes in front of religious leaders, he also preaches with boldness. So the Holy Spirit gives people boldness. But the one thing I want to focus on, and it's because I work with international students, and it's because whenever I read the Bible, I, I notice things about the heart of God for the nations. What I notice, and I find it super interesting, is that when you look at the places where the Holy Spirit comes on a group of people, it's always an international, multi-ethnic group of people. When we go to Pentecost, right, the disciples were waiting. And they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. I'm not sure what they're expecting. And suddenly there's this wind. And again, in the Old Testament, the, the, the word for wind would have been ruach. Just the Holy Spirit comes in. And then we see fire, tongues of fire descend on him. And that's an image of holiness. If you think of the Old Testament, we think of Moses and the burning bush. There's fire, there's holiness. Or the, in, 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 in the desert, you have the pillar of fire that goes before the people of Israel. That's that fire of holiness. The, the, the Spirit comes upon them. And then they start to speak in all kinds of different languages. And why would that be? Because they, it says that there's God-fearing Jews from all nations present. And so from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit seems to want to spread this gospel message to everyone. And at the same time, it's a witness to to the disciples, like, wow, this is not just for us. But okay, in this case, it's God-fearing Jews. Let's look at the next story. It's the story of Philip. Now, Philip, we have Philip the disciple, but this is another Philip. This is Philip who um, was one of the church leaders in Jerusalem. 
the persecution comes to Jerusalem and Philip has to leave. And so he goes to Samaria, one of the arch enemies of the Jews. The Jews and the Samaritans do not get along. But he goes there. And if you remember, Jesus has been there as well. When he went over there and he met the Samaritan woman at the well. And this woman had gone back to her village, had told the whole village, I've met this amazing guy, you need to meet him. And lots of people came to Jesus there. She was this great evangelist. So now Philip goes over there, and when he tells the story, of course they hadn't heard yet, probably hadn't heard yet about the death and resurrection of Jesus, he tells this to the people there, there's good fertile ground and people come to follow Jesus. And the apostles who are still back in Jerusalem are like, what's happening? Okay, like other Jews in other nations, that makes sense. But now we're talking about our arch enemies over in Samaria. We're going to check that out. And so they go over there. They find that all these people have decided to follow Jesus. They ask, have you had the Holy Spirit? Has the Holy Spirit come upon you yet? And they're like, no. So they pray and they see the Holy Spirit come on the Samaritans. Again, the apostles must be standing there like thinking, wow, even the Samaritans, even they are part of the people of God. And then just a few chapters later, we get to Peter, who goes and visits, because the Spirit is telling him to, goes and visits a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Now, for a Jew to even go into the house of a Gentile, of a non-believer, was already not done. So he goes out there, but he feels God is telling him to go. He goes in there, he shares the Gospels, uh, and then when he's doing that, the Holy Spirit descends on these people. And he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. So the Holy Spirit is actively showing the early church, this is not something that you keep in your little group. This is not something just for the Jews. It's not even just for your neighbors as well. This is, God wants all of us to be part of his family. And the Holy Spirit shows that to the apostles. And again, that makes me excited because I work with international students and I want to I see that happen on campus. I want to see the Holy Spirit descend on people from all nations. So, so where does that leave us? I've given you, I feel, a lot of different ideas and thoughts about the Holy Spirit. We've seen that the Holy Spirit is active through all of time and space. He's, he's, a, he's a very important role in our in this story of bringing us back into right relationship with God, which is super exciting. I learned personally that God is, or or the Holy Spirit should not be referred to as an it. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is a person. And he works in and through us toward our restoration. So there's just one extra thing I want to share, because that was really encouraging. These couple last weeks as I was reading about the Holy Spirit, it was just a fun journey Uh, discovering more about the Holy Spirit. In one place, Paul says in Romans 8, 26-27, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. For me, it's encouraging to know that the Spirit is our advocate, He's our counselor, He's our helper. And in times when we aren't able to pray because of pain, because of discouragement, because of maybe just being tired, He will pray on our behalf. 
And there have been moments, even over the last few weeks, where I didn't know what to pray. But I knew that the Holy Spirit was praying for me on my behalf, and it was such an encouragement. Again, it's the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. We've been practicing two minutes of silence, and then again two minutes of silence. Just spending time being quiet before God. And again, for me, it was an encouragement knowing that when I spend time quietly before God, there's still the Holy Spirit interceding for me. So what I want to do is give you a couple of minutes right now. Spend that time with God. Be quiet. And know that you have this advocate, counselor, helper, that even when you don't know what to pray, he's praying on your behalf. So just take a couple of minutes. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Jesus even said it's better that he comes to be with us. Lord, I want to live out of that reality. Lord, help us to know you better, to know your Holy Spirit better, and um, yeah, to be encouraged in the way that you are active in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.